Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well. Thank you, as always, for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion. And I hope the summer break is treating you well. It's going to be a few more weeks until we see our beloved V6 turbocharged hybrid supercars doing the business on a week-by-week basis on most weekends, of course, when we'll be going back to Zandvoort, I believe. For the Dutch Grand Prix. So a bit more uh, familiarity, uh, familiarity, I suppose is the right word. If you are a Max Verstappen fan, you know, you might miss the feeling of, wi- of winning, but don't worry, I'm sure that's only going to be a few weeks away. But in the meantime, there is still plenty of stuff to talk about in the F1 world. One topic of discussion that I was very hesitant to talk about during the Belgian Grand Prix review, and that was what on earth is going on at Alpine? Now, For those of you that are familiar to this story and will be familiar with what Alpine and Renault have been trying to accomplish ever since Renault came back into the sport in 2015, this may not seem like a news story, but in the manner of where news broke over this person being moved and that person being moved and an overhaul of its technical structure to levels which we may not have seen before in F1, which is quite worrying, it's definitely something that we need to be talking about. And I couldn't think of anybody better to sit down and discuss this with me in more depth to find out what on earth is going on at Alpine right now than Sam Cooper from Planet F1. Sam, first of all, thanks for coming back on the show again. Always great to have you. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm all good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for asking. Um, Yeah, it's been a busy period for you. Obviously, I'd imagine you were looking forward to having a little bit of a mini break. But then, of course, that huge bombshell news coming out on Friday after FP1 regarding Otmar Jaffner leaving his team principal. And of course, Alan Permain as well, being there for 34 years at Endstone, leaving the sporting director's role, shocked absolutely everybody. It's it's almost as if... um, well, Alpine doing what Alpine does best, but on another level. Yeah, definitely. I was in, I was actually at Spa, so like I was there when the news sort of broke. Really, and there was a rumor going around like early morning that someone was kicking off. Like soon, it came out that Otmar was on the shopping block, really, and like we were all just sort of waiting because you don't want to be the first guy through the door, really, because you'll get if it's wrong, you'll be the one that gets gets blamed and forever blacklisted. So everyone was just sort of waiting and waiting, and then I think Lakeet were the first people who um finally put it out like to the public really and like yeah just timing wise you just I, I think we, we were talking about this earlier but like it's just so bizarre why they chose to do it like a the fact they did it on a friday and just to make people more aware like the way a grand prix works is like you have the drivers will talk on the first day you'll have fp1 and then on friday you'll have like a, a bosses press conference so like you get a selection of team bosses like christian hall Christian Christian Wolf, Christian Horner, Toto Wolf, all those kind of people, they'll chat. And it just so happened that very day, Bruno Famine was um scheduled to talk. And if people don't know who who he is, he was um he's looked he's worked for Alpine slash Renault quite a long time, but his most recent role change was to VP of Motorsports. So when when they silently moved Laurent Rossi out of the picture, like he this was the man that came in in for him. But now he's been promoted even more, like he's promoted up again into interim team principal. So he sat down to do the press conference. And then two minutes before that, Alpine make it official. So, of course, like Christian Horner was in this press conference, but I think he got about one question, which is completely never happens in F1, obviously. Like all the questions to, to Bruno about why, why have you done it? Why have you done it? Kind of thing. And like his answers were very like straight back saying, Oh, it was, it's just time to accelerate the project and stuff like that. All very like businessy jargony words that don't really mean a lot. So yeah, but the fact that a they did it just before the last race, before the summer break, makes zero sense. But also the fact that Otmar had to stay on and 
continue in his job role for like the next three days. And like, you'd see him walking around the paddock and it's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been made redundant, you've got a work, you notice period, like you, no one care, you don't care anymore. So yeah, just bizarre decision, especially timing wise, like we can talk about like the sporting merits of it for sure. But like on like a timing basis, why not wait till like now and do it after, after the final race of the summer, of the first part of the season's happened. But yeah, a busy time, not one you expect on a Friday, but yeah, especially when most of the, most of the conversations about rain. So it was nice to have a bit of a bit of a change in the spa press room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy stuff. And um, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I absolutely sympathise with any respecting F1 journalist out there. Not you know necessarily you know not wanting to jump the gun and putting the story out before it was made official. Of course, Ella Keep, as far as they're concerned, when they report on things Renault and Alpine related, it might as well be the truth at this point. And, you know, I completely sympathise. You're busy writing up your reports from Free Practice 1. Of course, it was a sprint weekend as well, so there was a lot of emphasis on uh, the main race qualifying. It was going to be happening later that day. And then all of a sudden, this news comes out of the water and completely surprises everybody, even by Alpine standards. And, you know, as you were saying, Sam, just to... For those of you that obviously weren't keeping track of the actual story and how things were developing over the last few weeks, just to kind of summarize everything that has happened to Alpine in the last month or so. First of all, a, a brand new role, the VP, Vice President of Motorsport, or Vice Principal Motorsport, whatever you want to call it, role was created that, um, you know, Bruno Famine was going to be moved into. Uh, and he was the engine chief at the time for only 18 months or so. And he had no prior experience of F1 whatsoever before he even came into the role. So that was a surprise. And he was going to be reporting directly to Lauren Rossi, the CEO. Then only eight weeks later or so, Lauren Rossi is now moved into a special project leader role. I have no idea what that's going to entail, or even if it's completely relevant to the F1 program. And he's now been replaced by Philip Kreef as the CEO. And then... Fast forward to the Belgian Grand Prix, Otmar Jaffner, the team principal, and as I said, sporting director um, of the team, 34 years experience at Enzo, Alan Permain, one of the most respected and long-standing figures in Formula One, hugely central to Renault's success in the 05 and 06 season where Fernando Alonso was world champion with the team. They're only two world titles to date, mind you. They've now been moved on. And also in the same weekend, it was announced that Pat Fryer, the chief technical officer, the most senior technical figure at Renault Sash Alpine, he's now moving to Williams. I think I've got everything covered there, Sam, unless I've missed anyone. But have you ever seen a more extreme technical overhaul of an F1 team before? Well, I think the only comparison we can make is to McLaren early this year, but McLaren definitely seems like it was done with more intention, really. Like they obviously they they sat James Key and they broke his role up into three different parts and they've already filled all three of those roles and like there's some quite big names. There's, there's people moving from Ferrari and Red Bull. So that I think that's probably the last time you could say that a technical team was broken up like this. But whereas McLaren's was sort of done with purpose and like, this is why we're doing it. Alpine's doesn't seem like that. It seems to be like, I mean, they're not, it's, it's maybe a bit harsh to say they're making it up as they go along, but that's sort of the impression really. Like at the start of the year, I went to Alpine's car launch and there was big talks of what they're doing for the future. Lauren Rossi talks a lot. Otmar talks a lot. And now he, six months how many late how many days later like neither one of those are involved in the f1 operation anymore and it's just a huge amount of change and i think one of the one of the most worrying things if i was an alpine fan was when bruno family was talking like they said they hadn't like they'd only just started the process of looking for a replacement and you're thinking well if you if you decided to sack someone like this this quickly and do it now usually that means you've got someone lined up and like whether he was just lying to us sort of throw us off the scent that might be another thing but if, if it is true that they're in a position now where they're only just starting to look at candidates like there's little chance he's going to be ready for he or she's going to be ready for Zambor is it like or so Alpine are just going to have this more like uncertainty going into the second half of the season and it's already been such an up and down season for them on the track I mean like how many incidents have the both drivers had like crashing into each other things like that like it's been a very rocky season for them and I think the last thing they would have needed is this much change at a boardroom level because we might think the drivers are separate from that but they're not really like it sort of filters down and affects them so yeah like yeah i think it's gonna be a rocky season for alpine left i mean they're p6 currently like can you really say that they're quicker than anyone above them not really so like yeah i think it's just a worrying time for alpine really and i think they're more likely to go backwards than they are forwards currently 
Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. And, you know, you mentioned that interview with Bruno Faman, uh, the new you know, VP at Motorsport. I'm still not going to get used to seeing that. That's such a random thing in the overall team's hierarchy. But if you want to imagine it, um, for those of you at home listening to this, thinking, well, how am I going to visualize this hierarchy? Well, effectively, you've got Luca DeMeo, the CEO and head of the Renault Group. He's basically overseeing the whole thing, or, you know, so he, so he claims. Um, and then below him... You've now got Philippe Creef, which was formerly Lauren Rossi in the CEO role. Then you've got the VP in motorsport, Bruno Famine, who is effectively the highest ranking officer that's going to be overseeing the F1 program. So you've already got two layers above him that is not going to be involved in the F1 program at all, although there will be some corporate insight from those above anyway. So make of that what you will. And then eventually you've got the team principal role. So you've effectively got three layers above the team principal, the person that's supposed to be running the F1 team, making the big decisions on how to make the F1 team going forward. And right now, as as you said, Sam, you know, Bruno Faman also mentioned this as well, that, you know, the, the team, the bosses need to make up their minds over what this program is going to look like, what the management structure is going to look like, um, who they're going to be bringing in. And they're doing this after getting rid of their team principal, who was meant to be taking them forward and using the benefit of his experience and bringing a team that had limited resources into the realms of the big leagues, if you like, and someone who has been a huge factor in their success for many years and is arguably one of the most sought after and experienced people working in Formula One right now. Martin Brundle was very glowing in his reference of Alan Permain. I'm pretty certain he'll find work elsewhere very, very easily um, following the summer break. But just to sort of narrow down on what Bruno Faman said, it, for me, I, I, I think the one thing that surprised me when I read back the press release afterwards and the interviews, listened to that, he mentioned project like 18 times. And the one question I think many people will have when they hear that is what is this project supposed to be? Is it the 100 race project to be a, a winner in Formula One that they keep starting again and again and again, phase two of this project, whatever that means? I mean, at this point, I feel like it's just a naming exercise more than anything else about an actual plan or structure that's going on here. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the way he said project, he sort of tied it into. So they had, they had this press release, this press conference a few weeks ago where they were talking about their big projects, but it was mainly focused on their car production. So I feel like they've just sort of taken that part and said, okay, let's apply it to the F1 team. I do still think this 100 race plan is still part of their plan. Like, but I don't know how realistic it is because I don't know how many, we must be about halfway through it now. I think it started in 2021. So I think they said within four seasons, they wanted to be challenging for the world title. And I think every, pretty much every season since then, they've gone down. Like they've gone, they've got worse. Other people, other people have got better and it's just looking less and less likely. So yeah, like you said, like I think if we look at them, them in comparison to other teams, maybe excluding Ferrari, because they're sort of their own case really. But um We've got teams like Red Bull where Christian Horner is the CEO and team principal. Like the buck stops with him. Like, yes, he reports to the Red Bull CEO, but it's on, on a racing front, it's very much his his operation. Same with Mercedes, Total Wolf is very much the figure of that. And I think that's just a good way to do it. Like where you have one sole person in charge who leads down and like dictates the team. I think McLaren works well. Obviously, they've got a slightly different where they've got a CEO and a team principal, but I think they work together as well as a partnership. And that tends to be the way a good Formula One team works is by having a lead figure who sort of pushes the team forward, gets the like the ethos of the te- team and the constructor and really like is the sole figure in charge. And I think when you start to have so many people involved, like it's natural that four people are going to have slightly different opinions. Like I think Otmar was talking about that's sort of why it came down to it. It's like the Red Bull bosses wanted success so much quicker than he thought was achievable. And he sort of thought, well, there's, I'm on hiding to nothing, really. I might as well mutually agree to leave. So, yeah, I think their structure does seem a little bit odd and a little bit out of place in comparison to pretty much every other team on the on the grid, barring Ferrari and, like, that they've got their problems of their own, really. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it, I'm of the opinion that one sole figure who can say, who has the final yes or no decision and is someone who's involved in the day-to-day running of the team is sort of the best way to get success. Yeah, it does seem to be that way. Um, I mean, you know, listening to Bruno Faman's comments on why uh, why these decisions have been taken regarding Omar Jaffna and Alan Permain, you know, being moved moved on. Um, I think in his words, he was saying that there were disagreements over the timeline to reach that level of performance that they were aiming for, uh, and they had a different 
view on the way of doing it. And for me, I, I felt that the corporate perspective that is currently overseeing this, you know, the Luca De Mayos, the Philippe Kreefs, um, you know, even the Bruno Famans and, and especially Lauren Rossi was this stubbornness to stick to this hundred race deadline or, you know, and Bruno Famman was loosely alluding to 2026. It's almost like they're going to start this hundred race plan again. And yet the view at Enstone on the ground from uh, Jaffna and Alan Pomain was quite the opposite that, you know, this project could be successful, but it's going to take a bit more time than that, or it's going to need to be simplified a little bit more, which is completely the polar opposite of what we're seeing right now. It, it does feel that that seemed to be the sticking point as to why this decision was made, whether it be in haste or, or just reactive to the situation that Alpine find themselves in at the moment. Yeah, and I think, I don't think it's Otmar that should shoulder all that blame. Like, Weirdly, the same day we had that FIA commission. Sorry, if you can hear an engine roaring outside. I mean, someone's clearly Otmar's. I'm enjoying his holiday outside my house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if um, if we go back to like the Friday, it was the same day that the like the report of the F1 FIA commission F1 commission came out, and one of the main talking points was this Renault engine, which I think everyone knows is down on power compared to the other three, and the sort of talk of like, okay, how do we sort of stabilize that? Really, like, so if you think about that, like. Renault inherently, well, Alpine inherently have got a worse engine. Like they're already starting like a step behind their rivals. And obviously, as we know, they're the only team that run with this engine. So like pretty much every other team on the grid has got a better engine than the Alpine car does. Also, if we sort of factor in just so many like moments of misfortune they've had this year, they had that crash in Australia where both drivers hit each other, complete, complete fluke. We had the crash in, was it Hungary when Joe essentially just drove straight into the back of Ricardo, who then hits managed hit both of the Alpines. Like they've had some really bad luck moments. Like and I think that should have probably been a taken into account more. Like the fact that they did so well last year, like they, they really consolidate that P4 P4 position. And obviously it's got a lot harder. McLaren have improved. Aston Martin have really improved since last year. But I just feel like he should have been given more time. Like I feel like he's right to say that success isn't a guarantee overnight. And like he was working with quite a bad hand and like in a poor engine an okay car it's not one of the slow ones but it's also not like a super rapid one and i think he had two good drivers and he was just just i think just needed a bit more time i think if those little moments of misfortune just went a bit in his favor so say they didn't they didn't crash into each other completely by accident or joe hits ricardo and hits someone else like it's just these little moments that can be really have such a huge impact and it's ultimately it's i think it's cost art Morris job really yeah i mean I personally, I, I liked Otmar Schaffner. I had a lot of respect for what he had achieved, particularly at Racing Point and Force India, of course. Um, Aston Martin, clearly there was a there was a disagreement, I suppose, on a few things. I don't think it was necessarily patience or timing, but I certainly think that there was an element there where there was, an, uh, there was a lack of confidence from the corporate level at, at Lawrence Stroll and obviously bringing in Martin Whitmarsh and Mike Crack to this day has proved to be rather a good decision from Aston Martin. There's certainly a different scenario there. But at Alpine, upon first sight, it did feel like this was a decision where there was something to go on with this and that there was going to be progress made. I think there were some decisions that were made, particularly with the drivers, that was very, very questionable. But obviously, we we know what happened with Fernando Alonso here. He went to Aston Martin, whether or not he was driven away by Alpine over their current structure or Fernando lost faith. You can make your own mind up on that. Losing Oscar Piastri was obviously a much bigger blow. And, and we all know how that all went down and that, how that surprised everybody. And I think we can all agree for both drivers at this point in time, they've both made the right decision to move on and move elsewhere, which is obviously not a glowing indictment of what's going on at Alpine at the moment by any stretch of the imagination. But now that Otmar Jaffner has now been moved on by Alpine, I don't want to say that I don't, I, I don't expect him to find another role within another F1 team anytime soon, but I feel like the credit he may have built up from the successful period that he enjoyed and was overseeing at Force Indian Racing Point may have withered away now and that certain F1 teams that might be looking at a potential team principal or someone in that position for the future may not necessarily be knocking on Otmar Jaffner's door in the short term. I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I do think that's fair. And I think, obviously, I think he's only ever going to come back for a team principal role. And you look up and down the grid, like, where's he going to go, really? That's not an obvious option, really. Like, 
I think the one he's been linked to the most is Andretti. Like, if they get on the grid, like he's got those American roots. Apparently, he's he's good. He's got a good relationship with the Andretti family. So I think that seems like the most likely one. And even that is very much dependent on whether Andretti get on the grid. Which, as as of right now, we have no idea like how close they are if they might do it. So I don't think there's an obvious route back into him for him. And I think he's he's said that he's got in this part of his leaving contract, he has to wait at least a year to join another team. So maybe the situation would have been changed by then. Like who knows what will happen in a year, but yeah, I think for now, at least I'll just enjoy the presumably very large severance package that he was handed. And I'd go enjoy my life on a beach somewhere. If I was him. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? And I think it's a really good point. I think because in addition to, or in conjunction with what I, I was saying just before, the issue isn't necessarily a skill issue or capability of being able to do the job. I think Otmar Jaffner has proven that he is more than capable of being an effective team principal in the right working environment. To his credit, I wouldn't say that those existed at Aston Martin and Alpine, not to say that those aren't going to be successful. Um, I mean, Aston Martin certainly much more likely to be successful at the moment than Alpine, but you do need the right person in the right place. And ultimately with someone like Mike Crack, I, th- I think Aston Martin have found that at least in the short term with Alpine, we'll just have to wait and see who they bring in next and how that goes. You know, we'll have to wait and see, but um, it, it's more down to the fact that there just aren't enough F1 teams at the moment. And if you're going to get more F1 teams with the right connections, maybe the right working environment will manifest itself at Andretti slash Cadillac. If they get onto the grid in 2025 or 26, whenever they're planning to come. So, We'll have to wait and see, but I'm with you on this one, Sam. I think Otmar should just put his feet up, enjoy the rest of the F1 season and wait and see how things work out. There obviously will be opportunities, but uh, it's certainly not the last that we've heard from Otmar Jaffner at the very least. Um, I I did want to move the conversation on to something that you touched on already uh, about the ideal perfect structure of an F1 team to be successful. You've mentioned Mercedes and Red Bull as the prime examples, the two teams that have dominated Formula One for the last decade and a half now. And Alain Prost, the four-time world champion, one of the greatest of all time, shared that opinion as well. Although in fairness to Alan, he didn't exactly put it in the same glowing uh, terms as you have, for example. He was very critical of Alpine, especially in the wake of his departure in 2021. He very much cited his frustrations uh, towards Lauren Rossi, which won't surprise many people that had followed this story with Alan Prost following his role as an advisor when he left in the wake of that he was very critical of Lauren Rossi um very scathing in his review of him I think I found a quote from an interview he did with Ella Keep on him that I might have to quote just to get your reaction but um Alan was very brutal with his um assessment of Lauren Rossi referring to him as an inept manager who thinks he can overcome his incompetence with his arrogance and lack of humanity towards his people now I try to be as objective as I can be on this show. I don't have to because I'm a podcast. I'm not a journalist like yourself, Sam, who has to actually be objective in their job. But on a human level and as an F1 fan level, after what Lauren Rossi said about his Alpine team members in Miami, does a quote like that from Alain Prost surprise you um, in terms of his assessment of Lauren Rossi, his character? Oh, God, no. Like... I think everyone knows that Alan Pross does not get on with Laurent Rossi. And I think the fact, the speed of this story that came out, like I think it came out Friday evening. So the day of all these announcements, like that really showed that Alan Pross was just waiting in the wings, like the bullets in the chamber. He's just waiting to fire as soon as some, some, something embarrassed or Alpine happens. Like, yeah, I'm sort of with Prost on this. Like, I don't think Rossi's been a good leader. Like how many other leaders do you see, going into the press and just slagging off their own team. Like, can you imagine if someone like Christian Orr and Soto Wolf did that? Like, that, it, just, it seems like incomprehensible that a team boss would go and just destroy his own team principal in the press and think that's fine. And it's not the only occasion of Laurent Rossi that we've seen do that. Like, he has, he's seen like a man who's quite, maybe like short-tempered or childish, like just the way he reacts to things. Like, he never seems to see the bigger picture and never seems to think, okay, this isn't going to help the team. And like, also he never really seems to shoulder much of the blame. Like he's as much to blame as Otmar ever was. Like he's the one sort of leading the charge as you like. And like, I don't think, I think a big part of why team principals and team bosses are so successful is they're 
ability to accept mistakes and like their ability to sort of take the blame for the team and like make it seem like a real case of unit. And I think Laurent Rossi did the exact opposite of that. He sort of tried to break everyone off into parts. So he had a big fight with Alan Prost. So like it became him v Alan Prost. And then later it became him v Otmar. And I like had a bit of him v Alonso last year and a bit him, him v Piastri really. Like he seems to be a person that's really set on making enemies. And like that's not going to work in, in an F1 team. Like let alone if you make enemies of the, of, of the other teams on the grid. Like that's fine. Do what you want. But like, you're making enemies of people within your own organization and that's just a, not a good way to run a team at all like any not even a team like a business like in the in the like the, i was gonna say the real world out there like i think it's just bizarre and i think it's his his if i had to pick one of the two sackings that was more deserved i mean so i say sacking i know he's just been moved to a different department but it's essentially a sacking in all but name but i think his is far more deserved than otmar's ever was like i think lauren rossi was just not fit for that role really and i think everything that alan pross i think everyone's universally agreed that that seems absolutely fair enough i think no one said that's out of order i think everyone's just sort of believed what alan said like that's that's his experience and the, i think it's one we can all sort of see and predict that lauren was rossi would be like behind, behind closed doors yeah i i can't help but feel that you know now that we know what we know that this was a decision that perhaps was very much influenced by shareholders at the Alpine and Renault group. Because when Laura Rossi made the criticism that he made of his own team in such a manner at Miami, um, that would have sent stock prices falling for our, and, and share values and it, it, all that boring finance stuff that I'm sure many of you F1 fans probably don't want me to go on about. But it does have an impact. And part of me almost feels that maybe that's why he has been moved into this special projects role, whatever that's going to be, which seems to have very little to no say in how the F1 team is going to be run going forward. So it seems like he's been moved aside and it's like, okay, you're just going to be doing that. Whatever it is that you're going to be doing, we're going to keep you out of the media pen. We're going to keep you away from all the cameras and the microphones and you're not going to have any say in the F1 team. Um, and, And it's just going to be moved on elsewhere. And for me, I also feel that right now Alpine are in this ongoing cycle where um, the perspective from the corporate level is overshadowing and overhauling the the minds of people that work in F1 that know better, that should be making these decisions. And it's just detrimental to the team. I mean, we, we go back over the last five, six years, Sam, and Alpine have been very stagnant in this midfield group. They've finished between fourth and sixth in all of those years. I think P4 in 2018 and 2022. You know, those seasons they peaked and they did very, very well. And the question was always going to be, can Alpine now, or Renault in this case at the time, can they break into the elite group in F1 with Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull? Can they finally reach that top brass and challenge for the big honours. And every single year for the same reasons, whether it's been lack of investment, lack of resource, lack of plan, lack of the right people, even lack of elite talent in their drivers. For me, it's it's always seemed like a team that's been destined to fail, not necessarily because they don't have the right ingredients, but they just don't seem to know what to do if they have any of those components at all, let alone the situation they're in right now. With all due respect to their current situation, they don't seem to have any of it. Yeah, there doesn't seem to do much joined up thinking, really, like between a lot of the groups. And like, you start to wonder, like, is this a doomed working place? Like, if you did take someone like Total Wolf and put them in that team, is he going to be able to get success from it? Or is it so mismanaged that regardless of how good the team principle is, like, they're not going to get a result of it? Like, I think you're right. Like, they need to have like a really good shake, not shake over the board, but sort of just get on the same page that, and have a clear plan and one that's realistic. And then, back that plan up i think one of the big criticisms as well as Renault is like they haven't really put their money where their mouth is like it's an expensive sport and like alpine aren't known as one of the big spenders so like you can't expect to challenge red bull and mercedes without putting that kind of money in and like just look at aston martin for example they spend like so much money on that factory to even have a chance of getting near the podium like they've poured a lot of money into their project like hired a lot of good staff, like made a lot of smart moves and that's sort of paying its dividends. But even that's not a guaranteed guaranteed way to win the title. Like it's really competitive. And I think Renault haven't really done that. Like they haven't put their hand in their pocket and sort of said, okay, we're going for it. Like they've said it, but they haven't like physically done it. Like I haven't backed it up. So yeah, I think, 
I just think it's a structure that's not working currently, and I think they just need to sort of need to get at least get on the same page. And like, you can have disagreements, but keep them out of the press. Like, that's just not a way to run run your business, really. No, I mean, and we can talk about you know the corporate level trying to interfere with the F one team level, and it becomes a huge mess because we know one side is always going to be dominant and more often than not it's usually the corporate level unfortunately the level that might know how to make money but they don't know how to make a good formula one team or how to win things that has to be left to the people that on the ground actually know what they're talking about and and very rarely does this does this happen where the f1 side supersedes the corporate side and it's a shame because the two don't even have to work in tandem with each other they just need to be aware that even if they're kept separate, one sticks to what they know, the other one sticks to what they know, and then you can be successful. And sometimes you do need someone that fits in both camps, like a Toto Wolf or a Christian Horner, to oversee this whole program and make it work and make everybody a lot of money and very, very successful in Formula One. It can happen. That's what's been happening in the last decade and a half. And, and Alan Prost cited this especially. He said that... You know, he used Mercedes and Red Bull as examples. You know, you had Total Wolf, you have Christian Horner, you have some brilliant men and women all throughout those teams doing a wonderful thing. It's a very streamlined, simplified process. And at the helm of it, it's backing and building around an elite driver like a Sir Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen in those teams and Sebastian Vettel uh, before that, of course. And, you know, when you have those examples, for me, I just find it baffling even a team like Ferrari, you can compare this as well in the Alpine camp, but to a lesser extreme in, in that regard, because, you know, they, they they do invest and they do try to win, whereas Alpine, I'm not even sure what they're trying to do here. I'm still convinced they're using this F1 project to try and build a car brand rather than an F1 team or a successful one. And Renault's just going along with this for as long as it suits them at this point in time. Um, and, and as I said, it baffles me that not every single F1 team that wants to be successful looks at the model of what Mercedes and Red Bull are and what they have been the last decade and a half and think, at the very basic, this is what the management structure needs to be. And then we'll try and get an elite level driver. I mean, I like Gasly, I like Ocon, they're very, very good. I certainly wouldn't call them elite level drivers at this point in time. So I, I just don't understand it, Sam. I mean, c can you get your head around why every team doesn't try to adopt this structure, if you like? No, to be honest, like we've seen it's a winning formula. Like I guess I guess some think they okay, they're starting from somewhere different, so they're not gonna catch up by doing the same methods and they'll try something different, like having a hundred race plan. But yeah, I don't know, like yeah, I don't, don't even know what to say really. Like it just seems like such an obvious way to win races or like at least try to be competitive. Like it seems like a good way to make an F one team and yet for whatever reason Alpine and like you said, Ferrari as well don't always don't always follow that that rule that situation yeah very true um i want to talk briefly about um pat fry you know the, the most senior senior technical officer moving on now going to williams that was announced a little bit earlier in the weekend and it's a massive coup for williams but for me i think it speaks it speaks volumes about the direction williams are going and it also speaks volumes about the direction alpine are going one of those two teams are moving forward, and it certainly isn't Alpine at the moment. Um, did that move surprise you when you found out about it, Sam? Yeah, I guess I suppose it did really. Like, if we look at where the teams are in comparison, really, like Alpine have had a good few years. They won a race last year. Yeah, last year it was. Um, so, yeah, it sort of seems odd that someone would leave that to move to what was essentially a back marker. They're doing a bit better this year, but they've, for a long time, they've been the team that comes last. But like I said, I think it's quite an exciting time for Williams. Like I think James Vowles is doing a good job. And I think when we're talking about longer term projects, I think that's probably the the longest of them all, really, is to try and sort of make Williams a competitive force once again. Obviously, getting Pat Fry in is like a huge coup. And like that's that's only going to help Williams and sort of it's just a sign of where they where they want to be and where they're going, really. And I think it's just a lot of positive signs that I think we're sort of seeing in F1 that a lot of staff members are sort of jumping, well, not jumping ship, but swapping teams quite a lot. And like, that's not something we're overly familiar with. So maybe that's that's good for the sport. And like these smart, intelligent, like excellent people start to get moved around just away from the big teams a lot. So like, yeah, I think you're right in saying that it's really good news for Williams and it's just more not great news for Alpine. I think James Vowles, he spoke to the press on Friday and he made, he made it clear that this, this wasn't related to... Um, 
the other goings on at Alpine, like this was always in the works kind of thing. It just so happened that it fell on the same day that they could announce it. So yeah, good move for Williams and like Alpine now have a lot of jobs they need to need to hire hire for quickly. Yeah, and Alpine further went on to say that they weren't really expecting any further de- future departures or any further departures, if you like, elsewhere in the team. I certainly don't believe that. I, I think this is certainly not the last of it. I, I, as I said, this restructure is... I've never seen anything like it before. It's absolutely crazy. I know we mentioned McLaren earlier, but for me, I can understand that was more like um, not necessarily reshuffling. It was like a redesign, but poaching and and picking key figures that have been let go elsewhere or or brought in from other big teams to try and build this structure and improve it going forward rather than just firing and not even know who you're going to replace it with or just putting people like square pegs into round holes or having more layers in this hierarchy than you need just for the sake of doing it. So, you know, it, it's good to see it's good to see from Williams' perspective that they have brought in someone like Pat Fry. And it speaks volumes considering where they were last year. This was a team that was very much the slowest team on the grid. They were really struggling. And, you know, fast forward a year, okay, they're probably not going to catch Alpine in the Constructors' Championship. There is still a gap there. But they're a lot closer to Alpine than they were last season. And you could very easily see a scenario in a year's time where Williams have got past Alpine and Alpine are still wondering you know, how much further they're going to fall back and Williams are on the rise right now. So it's great stuff to see. I think on a smaller level, we talked about some of the bigger teams and their ideal structures in place. I can't help but feel as well that the success of Aston Martin over the last 12 months and what they've had to do to get there um, in the winter and McLaren's success in season on development and where they seem to be going, two teams that were very much fighting Alpine uh, and have now leapfrogged them into this league group. It, for me, I feel that that's had a huge influence on this huge change at Alpine. Yeah, I think everyone's sort of after their own McLaren or Aston Martin moment, really. Like, I think it's not just Alpine. I think Mercedes have talked about how they'd, they'd like to have quite a significant boost in upgrades, really. Like, yeah, I think they've sort of set the bar of how much you can improve in a year. Like, obviously, they're not as quick as Red Bull, but Red Bull started from a very high, high up position. And, like, I think, yeah, you're right that there'll be McLaren. Uh, Sorry, Alpine will be looking at McLaren and Aston Martin very enviously, enviously of what what they've achieved in these last six months because I think both of them are on course to finish higher than they did last year. I think definitely Aston Martin. I think McLaren finished sixth last year, so obviously if they get fifth, that's one better. Like whereas Alpine are on the other way down. I think, like I mentioned, I went to that Alpine launch and their their big goal was to consolidate. consolidate p4 and sort of maybe start changing the top three and like they've just done the exact opposite they've gone down 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 the leaderboard really and like now they've sort of got one one eye over their shoulder really rather than looking looking ahead so yeah just not a good time really i think the more we more we talk about the alpine the more we sort of realize how dire this situation is really well i mean we we're aware of this i'm not sure if they're aware of this they're trying to put a spin on it that you know everything's under control it depends on who you ask really because you know bruno faman and we've had a lot of quotes from him on this and for me it doesn't inspire confidence that you've got your new vp of motorsport in there you know a questionable decision given his experience but i'm sure he's qualified to do the role that alpine have put him into i certainly hope he is but the reference that he's given of what is going on with this structure and what the plan is going forward, even though he kept calling it a project over and over and over again, or phase two, whatever this is supposed to mean, for me, it just didn't inspire any confidence at all. It it felt very, um, I mean, I always want to say you want to be proactive rather than reactive, but it almost feels like they're very reactive to what Aston Martin and McLaren have done and seem to think that it is realistic that they can suddenly become a top team in six months or even 12 months when the reality is Aston Martin and McLaren acknowledged their issues at an early point and were very patient. You know, they could have easily made these wholesale changes. You know, someone like Lauren Stroll is not afraid to get rid of someone when he feels they're not quite cutting it. McLaren made some big changes, promote Andrea Stella after Andrea Seidel went over to Alfa Romeo slash Audi to, you know, embark on that journey. A lot was changing at those teams, but they had the vision, they had the patience, and they allocated the resource. They took the pain in the short term, Aston Martin last season, McLaren in the early part of this season, and now they are enjoying the benefits of that patience and the efforts they've put in. And for me, 
Alpine can and can react to this and do what they've done right now. But I would not be surprised, Sam, if you or I, you and I, are here in a year's time or even six months' time after the season is finished, talking about more changes at Alpine. The one issue they seem to lack is patience. They talk about a hundred races, and that's fine if you want to have a deadline. But if you're not going to be patient to see this process through from start to finish, then I don't even know what you're doing because you're just wasting everybody's time and money. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're exactly right, really. There's not much more I can add. Just, yeah, they're sort of a team without direction at the moment. They sort of need to find that quickly because F1's a very competitive sport and you soon find yourself going backwards if you don't start making improvements. So, yeah, I think just fully agree with what you said, really. And that's why you're the journalist, because it's took you 15 seconds to say what <laughs> four minutes. So um... <laughs> It's much easier to say, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I come from a yeah. place of passion. Maybe it's because I hold some... Uh, element of uh, alignment to this uh, mm-hmm. as a ferrari fan but um i mean it's not as dire as that so i've got to count my lucky chickens mm-hmm. um you know without, without worrying about that too much uh, in terms of potential replacements of course alpine at this point in time according to bruno famen are drawing up a list of candidates and you know that they've got to decide who they're going to want in one person in particular that has been linked to this team principal role for some time is matty bonotto the former ferrari boss now I am happy to sit back and, and and add my comments after you, Sam, on this one. But what do you think? Is First of all, is Matteo Bonotto the right fit for Alpine? And if he is, would he want to take the job on? Well, he's got experience at dealing with chaos, hasn't he, when he worked at Ferrari. So he's sort of got that situation underhand. Um, obviously, there's, there's one obvious point to talk about is the fact that I believe he's on gardening leave until next year. So like, if Alpine do want him, they're going to have to wait at least half a year, which means Bruno Famine will be in charge for 11 or 12 races. So, yeah, we'll see see how that how that takes place. But, yeah, I think I think they, that's probably the best that they could get, really. Like, who else is going to have that high-level experience, that much experience in Formula 1, especially in an operation like Ferrari, which is sort of what Alpine want to be. Maybe not the modern-day Ferrari, but, like, obviously the winning Ferrari of yesteryear. Like, that's sort of what Alpine are aiming for. So maybe Bonotto is the perfect person to do that. Like, yes, his Ferrari... I mean, you can look at his Ferrari time in two ways, really. Like, some people will say it's a disappointment, but I think it's also fair to say, like, it was quite a big success. He sort of over oversaw them through that awful period where the car was just dreadful, got them back to at least winning races. Like, that was a big thing that happened, hadn't happened for a while. And he did that. And, like, fair enough, he paid the price for ultimately the team's failures in the end and i think that's sort of the natural end to a team principal's role but yeah i think i think he'd be a great option it's whether alpine want to wait for that long to get him in and again it's whether they give him the time and the ability to work work the project ready and get sort of give him the space rather than interfering like that's always going to be i think more important than whoever's in charge is sort of how do the board and how do the various levels of management we've we've got now how do they deal with the team principal and sort of let him get on with his own thing really and i think that's always going to be more important but yeah i think bonato i think they could do a lot worse than bonato is what i'll say yeah i think that'd be a fantastic appointment a real statement signing because you know as a ferrari fan i was a little bit skeptical about the decision to replace matty bonato however that being said i think we've gotten to a point where ferrari seemed to have made their mind up Bonotto is obviously a very difficult decision to make and Ferrari have gone and made that, brought in someone like Fred Vasseur. I, I think we're going to have to wait a while before we start to see if that was actually the right decision or not. At this point in time, I think Ferrari's issues are much deeper than just bringing in a new team principal. I think F1 usually is a bit deeper than other sports where they expect a new manager bounce. You just don't really get that in Formula One. You can't just turn up and the car is like 10% faster than it was just because you have a new team principal at the helm or anything like that so you know make of that what you will my my concern though Sam even though I think Matteo Bonotto would be the ideal candidate that Alpine would probably want on their shortlist to step into this role I just find it hard to see a scenario where Matteo Bonotto is going to be convinced to want to join this Alpine team um because of the fact that the, the lack of patience that they have. I mean, look, over the last 18 months, we could go through the list of names like Martin Bogowski, Davide Brivio, Fernando Alonso, Piastri, Jaffna, Alan Permain. Um, you know, so many different figures that have been moved on in such a short space of time. And that's not even including the people that are still at the team that have moved on to other roles 
elsewhere. There's no consistency. There's no long-term planning there. And on top of all of that, we talked about this hierarchy structure earlier on. If Matthew Bonotto was to take on that team principal role at Alpine, he would have three layers of command above him that would be making decisions on the F1 team that he should be making. You know, we talk Luca De Meo, Philip Kreef, um, you know, Bruno Fammen, the new VP at Motorsport. And that's not including what input Lauren Rossi may have on the sidelines now. We don't know that yet, but I'm sure he may have a few things to say on, on at ground level that the media aren't privy to at the time. So I just can't see a scenario where Matti Bonotto, who left Ferrari, all right, he was removed, but in part, he wasn't happy about the fact that he couldn't report anymore to, um, you know, to Louis Camilleri, who he was very good friends with when, and before he fell ill. And then afterwards, he had a structure where he had to report to John Elkin and then underneath him, Benedetta Vigna, who obviously there was a bit of a sour relationship there as well, because Vigna didn't rate Bonotto that highly or didn't, you know, feel he had control of that team. So I just can't see a scenario where Bonotto goes from Ferrari and to a team that has got an extra layer or two of control over him making the decisions that he should be making as the F1 team boss. Yeah, I think that's a completely fair point. And like, sort of go back to what I say, really, like they've, yeah, the, like I said, the biggest problem is the board. It's not whoever's the last person in charge, like whoever's the face of it. Like there's, there needs to be some serious changes in there. Like, and whether Bonotto will enjoy not having as much responsibility, maybe on that side of things, maybe that'll work a bit better with sort of his background. But when he's being overruled by, someone who's three levels above him then yeah that's not going to help him like he's not gonna be able to get his, his ideas across and like ultimately he'll be a failure if, he, if that's if that's what happens so yeah like i said previously it's much more important i think how the upper management sort of act and behave from this point on than it is whoever happens to be in the team principal chair yeah absolutely and i think above all else i think this further vindicates that not only was Oscar Piastri an absolute genius for doing what he did, it was just, just over a year ago when he shocked the F1 world with that very infamous tweet about Alpine prematurely promoting him into a role that he was not going to be taking on and going to McLaren. But it also confirms that for once, Fernando Alonso was able to leave a team that he considered to be in distress and actually go to pastures new that were much better than where he left. So you've got to give him credit on that regard. Yeah, it's got to be worrying for Alpine when Alonso's leaving you. Like, it's like, oh God, like... And he's gone somewhere better. Yeah, it's happened. Like, if he thinks we're the worst option, like, good God. But yeah, yeah, even... It's nice that Alonso's having his moment in the sun and not spending his last few years in F1 in this in this Alpine situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he said much. I don't know if you picked up on any um, press pieces or spoke to Fernando at Spa. I had heard he was quite vocal about Otmar Jaffner saying that he just keeps going on and on and on about this business with myself and Piastri from 2022. He's just got to stop talking. But um, I mean, that's Fernando for you, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't hear that, but I sort of agree with him. I think that, especially Piastri, I think they've been quite harsh on what I've said and Piastri is essentially a very young guy who had every right to leave. Like, yeah, I think, especially from Rossi on that point, I thought that was a bit, a bit harsh and a bit out of order. So yeah, I'm sure Alonso is very happy as is Piastri probably that he's, he chose the right route career move for him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're happy every time they drive past an Alpine, but you know, fortunately for them at the moment, that's not something they have to worry about too much at this point in time. Um, I, I think before we round this off, Sam, I think we have to say something that's positive about Alpine going forward at the moment. And that is, um, They've got two very good drivers. Yeah, I sprint podium. Very well. At least they got a sprint podium that sort of overshadowed, well, not overshadowed, but sort of made their weekend a little bit. But Gassi did really well. I think, I think Gassi's a really good driver. Like I, I sort of, I, I agree with you. He's not in quite that elite level, but I think he's he's sort of the next level down. Really, and like Ocon is, I think someone who goes under a lot of radars. He's sort of proved himself. Very, very capable. Beat Alonso for points last year. Yes, Alonso had about 400 mechanical issues, but he still beat him for points and he, he's won a race. So, yeah, I think they've got a good couple of drivers. They just need to get a car that's at least somewhat competitive and just leave them to it, really. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more on that one. Um, and I don't think there's really much more to say on those guys. I think you've summed it up absolutely beautifully. But, um, I mean, I think that's all we've got time for on this one. We could talk about Alpine's misfortune for days, and I'm sure many of our listeners wouldn't mind that, but I'm sure there are plenty of like, come guys, you've got to wrap this up now. How much more smack can we talk about Alpine or how dire can the situation get? We'll have to wait and see. We've still got half a season to go and, and plenty more topics to discuss during the summer break. But Sam, before we sign off, 
as always, um, where can our followers find you on the socials and, and more of your written pieces online for more great F1 content? Yeah, so my Twitter is, uh, I say Twitter, or what X, whatever it's called these days, um, is SamCooper underscore. Uh, on Instagram, it's SamCooperF1, which I have started posting more on. I never used to, but if you want to see me get halfway up a rouge and get really tired, that's on Instagram. And then, yeah, it's planetf1.com is sort of where I do all my written stuff. Have you taken up uh, doing the circuit track runs like Luke Smith does? Do you know what? I've had I've had two for two where I've got about a fifth of the way up the track just walking it and I got told to leave because it's shut. So I got to the very <laughs> top of Eau Rouge and then a wow. van came up and said it's closed. And that also happened at Silverstone where I got like a, a fifth of the way around the track and someone told me it's shut. So I've got clearly got to go earlier in the day, but I'm just busy working and they, they yeah, want to get people insane. home. Yeah. Or maybe you've just got to hang out with some of the other journos that are doing the track runs and stuff like, or get a run with Crofty or or go with Luke or someone like that. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'll see that when they're, when they're putting their running shoes on, maybe I'll take that as my advice to go. But yeah, I always leave way too late in the day and I just get told to leave. So yeah, we'll have to see that at some point in the season. You and Luke have a race around a circuit. See how we go. <laughs> I think he'll win. I haven't run, I haven't run in a long time. The guy has been setting personal best and purple sectors everywhere he goes. I'm actually <laughs> love following that along. So, uh, yeah, you'll have to have a go one time, Sam, if you fancy it. See, uh, just to see how quick Luke really is around the circuit. Or maybe you're faster. Who knows? Maybe who that'll knows? be the racing who season. Knows? Yeah, I mean, let's um, do it Austria, where the, sh- the track is the shortest. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I won't do it in Belgium, where it's seven kilometers long and up a hill. So I'll, I'll wait for Austria next year. Yeah, probably not a bad idea, actually. But uh, but guys, uh, you know, enough running talk. I think that's all we've got time for in this one. We will be back, of course, for some more content over the summer break. We've got our mid-season review coming up and uh, a bit of a special audio-only episode from yours truly about my experience as a fan at Silverstone. I've got some great tips and some ideas for any of you that wants to go to a race in the future. It doesn't have to be Silverstone, but hopefully it will apply to those circuits as well. So keep your ears to the ground for that one coming up soon but until then guys thanks so much for tuning in as always please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember as always if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care Podcast Network.